0: Have you ever seen uh, footage of a space shuttle taking off? Or maybe even you've, you've been there live. I have friends who have been there live to see sta- space shuttles taking off. It's this massive liftoff with all this power. And you just see all the, the fire and the smoke underneath. And then it's this roaring and off it goes off the ground, eh? Well, I have a story to tell you about a liftoff. But it wasn't the liftoff of a space shuttle. It was the liftoff of a human being from planet Earth. A very important human being or uh, maybe you've uh, heard of men in black that's kind of a brings up certain images of certain kinds of people or certain kinds of action stories for people well in this story there are no men in black but there are two men in white and they have a message for all of humanity so I'm going to tell you a story today about the liftoff of a human being about two men in white who came with a message for humanity and it's also going to be rather touching. Uh, often people remember the last thing that someone said before they died or the last thing that they, that they heard that person say before maybe it was a loved one and they were parted for a longer period of time. Uh, I know even for myself, I, when, I, when I see my grandparents, I like to remember the last thing they said because I never know when that might be the last time that I saw them. So this is also going to be a story about some of the final words that some very dear friends heard from a loved one. This story was is a true story. It was originally told by a man named Luke. And Luke lived almost 2,000 years ago. He spoke several languages. And he was the traveling companion and a close personal friend of Paul. Paul, of course, was one of Yeshua's apostles uh, who traveled around and... Uh, telling people about Yeshua. He would tell people about Yeshua in uh, philosophical halls, in the marketplaces, on streets, in synagogues. Sometimes he would get into hot water legally, and he would get dragged before judges, or even before the Caesar at one time, like the Roman emperor himself. And so anyway, Luke was a doctor by profession, and he traveled with Paul. He probably took care of him and babied him a little bit when he was sick, made sure that he had enough to eat, and made sure that he he had enough um, time to sleep. And uh, Luke was also something of a historiographer. He would collect true stories, and then he would write them down. So he actually wrote two books that made it into the scriptures. Um... If you have three books in a set, that's called a trilogy, a trilogy, right? I think you could probably say that he wrote a a bilogy, a biology. I just made up that word. Trilogy, bilogy, right? So the first book that Luke wrote was a collection of the stories about Yeshua of Nazareth, how he was born, uh, a couple snapshots of how he grew up, and then uh, how he healed people, several miracles that he he did, um, how he chose his apostles and trained them, the things that he taught, how he was executed on, uh, on a cross, like a common criminal. Uh, what happened after he was raised from the dead. These were the things that Luke wrote in his first book in the Bilogy. The second book in the Bilogy picks up with right after Yeshua was raised from the dead. And it tells the story of the movement that Yeshua started. Starting in Jerusalem and breaking out and making it to quite a few nations... And the book kind of finishes in the capital of the superpower of the ancient world, Rome. So, this is the guy who originally told the story that I'm going to tell you. And uh, the story picks up a couple weeks after Yeshua of Nazareth went up to Jerusalem with his disciples. They had their final Passover supper, and then he was killed. Yeshua of Nazareth was sentenced to death, and he was brutally killed executed to his disciples' dismay thankfully that wasn't the end of the story Yeshua predicted quite a few times before he was killed exactly what was going to happen he said guys we're we're going up to Jerusalem I'm going to get betrayed they're going to treat me brutally I'm going to die but I'm going to come back after three days God's going to raise me from the dead just like it says in the Tanakh in the Hebrew scriptures and sure enough it happened just like he said Uh, His disciples didn't really get it at first, but they clued in after He kept on appearing to them and proving to them that He was alive. So that's where this story picks up. There was this period of time after Yeshua was raised from the dead. It was a little under a month and a half, 40 days specifically. And during that time, Yeshua would just show up out of thin air. He would just appear, often when these guys were behind locked doors when they thought no one knew where they were located. And uh, he He would have conversations with them He would sit down at the table and eat with them. He could still eat stuff after he was raised from the dead because he still had a physical body. And he would teach them things. And specifically Luke tells us Yeshua talked to his guys a lot about the kingdom of God. He had lots to tell them about God's kingdom after he was raised from the dead. And the other thing he did was he told them about their mission. He gave them orders or he gave them a mission through God's spirit speaking through him. So that was kind of what was happening in this 40-day period of time. Now the main story I have for you today is right towards the end of that period of time. Uh, Yeshua had rendezvoused with his guys up in the province of Galilee, or the Galilee, But there was a festival coming, the festival of Shavuot, or weeks. It's often called Pentecost in Greek. And in the scriptures, God said for the people of Israel to go to Jerusalem for that festival. So, even though Yeshua's guys were not liked, they're not very popular with the authorities in Jerusalem, they had to go because God said to go. And so they hiked up to Jerusalem. And about a week before Shavuot, they had supper with the Master. You know how most people call him Jesus. Uh, His original Hebrew name was Yeshua. So I'm going to call him Yeshua in this story. So they had supper with the Master, Yeshua. And uh, Luke tells us that they had supper just east of Jerusalem across this valley they were probably in a home they were probably in the home of Martha and Miriam and Elazar. remember the guy that got raised from the dead after he was dead for four days and he was beginning to stink he, he had some close friends there that was kind of a, a base of his when he was down in the Jerusalem area so he, it was probably there that Yeshua's disciples were having supper they were all leaning around the table and Yeshua was there and they were having supper with him and over supper Yeshua said something to them He said, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. I want you to stay here and I want you to wait for something. I want you to wait for what my Father promised you. You remember how John the Baptist, Yochanan the Immerser, he was immersing people in water? Well, you are going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Ruach HaKodesh is how we say that in Hebrew. Not many days from now, pretty soon. And Yeshua's disciples jumped in with a question. They said, Master, is this the point in time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Yeshua said to them, It's actually, it's not for you guys to know the times, the time frame, and season for these things to happen. But when the Holy Spirit that I'm talking about comes on you, you're going to be empowered and you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. And in the whole province here of Judea, and in the province just to the north of here, Samaria, where the half-breed, despised, kind of half-breed Jews, Samaritans live, and to the ends of the earth, the whole world. That's what Yeshua said to them. At some point in this story, they must have taken the conversation outside away from the supper table. Because Luke tells us, Yeshua all of a sudden lifted off of planet earth. He started floating away. Have you ever seen Mary Poppins? Mary Poppins? And you can imagine what it would, maybe what it would look like for Yeshua's feet to all of a sudden leave the ground and for him to start going up. And before too long, as they gazed at him, as he was floating into the sky, he was enveloped by a cloud and obscured from their sight. And they all stood there in total shock and awe at that spot in the clouds where Yeshua disappeared. Maybe similar to Elisha, the protege of Elijah, the great prophet, when he was caught up in a fiery chariot and taken to the heavens without even dying there were his disciples standing there staring at the sky watching where their beloved master was when suddenly two men dressed in white appeared beside them and said men of Galilee what are you doing standing there staring into the sky Yeshua this Yeshua who went up into the sky is going to come back in exactly the same way as you saw him go up so having heard these comforting words from these mysterious men in white they uh, hiked back across the valley back to Jerusalem and uh, they just stayed there until the festival of Shavuot and they spent a lot of time praying that's the story that, uh, that Luke tells us about Yeshua and actually there's a very interesting little detail he ha- that he adds he adds that it was a Sabbath day's distance that they walked back to Jerusalem maybe we'll revisit that in a couple minutes so that's the true story about Yeshua of Nazareth um his lift off from planet earth some of his final words and uh, the message that the men in white had for Yeshua's disciples and for anybody who cares so I have some questions for you about the story and we're just going to we're going to think through this story together a little bit is there anything about this story that you really like that maybe just kind of hits you in a new way or makes you smile or something uh, maybe you like how there's just like this intense drama to this story. It's almost romantic, like that Yeshua would just appear all of a sudden and they would have these conversations that they were, they were sitting down for supper with this man that had called them, this man that they had followed for several years at great personal expense to themselves, this man that they had seen brutally executed, screaming in agony, this man that they'd seen alive from the dead, and here they are having supper with him. Like there's, this, there's just this... There's this romance to the story that maybe, maybe you really like. There's this intense drama, just having supper with a great hero who has made a comeback from death. That doesn't happen every day. Or knowing that maybe you're only going to have him for a brief period of time, and then he's gone. I can just imagine hanging on his every word. Maybe that's something you like about this story. Uh, maybe you like how the two men in white addressed uh, these guys. Like they, they were like Galileans. I don't know, is there something about Galileans in this story that they just had to say that? Maybe it was, I don't know, maybe Galileans were famous for just standing around looking up in the sky or something. Uh, Who knows? Maybe you like that. Uh, Maybe you just like the fact that Yeshua of Nazareth can fly. Because you've got to admit, most human beings can't fly. And if they try, they hit the ground within 60 seconds, depending on how high they are when they launch off, eh? So that's pretty incredible. Maybe you like that. Is there anything about this story that you don't, that maybe bothers you or, or bugs you a little bit? If you've never heard this story before, maybe you would be like, Oh my goodness, how could, they, how, could they, how could Luke leave out so many details? Like all he says is, yeah, for 40 days Yeshua appeared to them, he talked to them about God's kingdom, he gave them the mission, and that's all. I mean, for crying out loud, if you've ever read the, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, you have to slog through chapter after chapter after chapter of funny sounding Hebrew names that are really hard to pronounce. All of these genealogies and stories about stuff that just maybe you find boring or that doesn't seem relevant. And here is this account of Yeshua after he was raised from the dead and it only gets this much. Why couldn't he have written more? (laughs) Maybe that kind of bothers you about this story. Maybe it kind of bothers you just that Yeshua left these guys behind. I mean really, if you love somebody, you don't ditch on them. If you love somebody, you don't just take off and fly into the sky generally speaking. Maybe if you've never heard this story, you would say, what was that? How about the way these guys felt? The experiences that they had in the story. Can you relate to that at all? Um, maybe you can relate to a time in your life when you had a loved one, and you know you only had so much time with that loved one before you had to take them to the airport and say goodbye. Or maybe they were, they were sick and you knew they weren't going to live very long before they died. And so you just had a few days or a few weeks with them, and, and maybe you remember just hanging on their every word, trying to write everything down in your mind indelibly, so that you would always remember it, so you could always cherish it. Just hanging on to that person and, and never wanting them to go. Can you imagine Yeshua's disciples? I'm sure they felt that way also, in, in those precious days with the Master. Maybe you can relate to Yeshua's disciples and how they felt when Yeshua never answered their question. They're like, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And he didn't answer their question. They really wanted to know something. And he just never told them what they wanted to know. Maybe you've had times in your life where you really wanted to know something and God just wasn't giving you the time of day. Maybe you felt a little frustrated about that. Maybe maybe it sparked a faith crisis in your life. Well, just take note that Yeshua's guys may have felt the same way. How about this? Yeshua's guys were in this time of major transition. Like, Yeshua is giving them this mission. He's talking to them about God's kingdom. They just had supper. They probably assumed that, I don't know, maybe they assumed he'd be around for a while. Maybe they assumed that he would keep showing up for the rest of their lives. See you, buddy. But all of a sudden, there they are. They go outside with him after supper, and he's gone. And all of a sudden, within a minute or two, their whole lives change. And they realize, he's gone. He's not coming back, maybe for a long time. Our relationship with him just changed. Our modus operandi has to change, not just overnight, but in these two minutes. Maybe you've had a pivotal time in your life, where all of a sudden, everything changed, and you were left there as it were, staring into the sky, saying, What now? I'd rather just kind of maybe stare, like to stare into the sky for the rest of the day or maybe the next couple of days because I don't really want to look down. I don't really want to walk away from here because things are going to be different and I'm going to have to change, adapt to change. Maybe you can relate to uh, how Yeshua's Talmudim felt in that regard. i ask you now two more things about this story. What does this story teach us about people in general and what does this story tell us about Yeshua, the Son of Man? Who, uh, who also is a people. That's what Son of Man means. Did you know that? Human being, a people. <laughs> uh, here's some things that we see about uh, people and how they think, how they relate in the story. Did you notice that Yeshua is confiding in his disciples? He's, he's saying something very critical for them about not leaving Jerusalem, and why he wanted them to stick around Jerusalem. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit, through whom the whole big plan was going to be pulled off. And did you notice when reading this story, that all of a sudden, it's almost like Yeshua's disciples kind of just interrupt. They just jut in, and they say, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Like, you almost wonder, are they they getting it? Are they hearing what he's saying about the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit? And so he says, basically, it's not for you to know that. And then he goes back to talking about the Holy Spirit again. It's almost like the conversation got derailed. It's almost like you wonder if they were really listening with both ears, or if they were really just kind of gripped inside with their own ideas, thinking about what they were going to say next in the conversation. Maybe they just had a bit of an agenda and that was going through. You can kind of, um, you can kind of see that in the story. And have you ever noticed that about us as human beings? We, we do that a lot. Often in conversations... Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, do you guys have a little blue it? Ah, no. Oh, crazy, man. I hope you find it. <laughs> yeah, right, eh? But that's uh, very common in, in conversations. And uh, that's, that's a tendency, like, that takes, that's a challenge to overcome. If you talk with people, If you have conversations, and we all do, you'll find you have this tendency to only listen with one ear and to be more concerned with what you are going to say next in the conversation instead of listening with both ears and with your heart and just really really hearing what the person is saying. And uh, maybe a very practical little tip that we could get from this story is listen with both ears and with your heart. And don't just cut in when someone's saying something. Don't interrupt. And don't even... um, just kind of jump in right afterwards with what you have to say. Uh, let there just be a pause after the person is finished saying what they have to say. Just so that they know that you're really listening. And what, what they're saying is registering in your mind. And then also it'll give you a second to think, how can I respond to what this person just said? And not, how can I say what I want to say and hijack this conversation to where I want it to go? So just on, a, just on an interpersonal relational level, that's something that we see in this story. Uh, We also see in this story that we as human beings have an unhealthy obsession with timing, with chronology, with when is this going to happen. Uh, In the West especially, we we have a now mentality where if we want something, we want it now. Never mind saving up for that vehicle or that house or that appliance if you're uh, if you get really excited about appliances, I want it now. And they'll give it to me, and I'll become their slave to a certain degree. I will become indebted, obligated to them, but I get it now. It's almost I think it's almost illusory, this concept that this is mine, I get it now, but it's not really mine because I still owe them for it. Mm. You kind of see that in the story. Yeshua's disciples are like, Are you going to restore the kingdom now? Now, 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 now? It's almost like they weren't hearing what Yeshua was saying. They weren't getting the mission that he had for them because they just wanted it to happen right now. I almost wonder if believers today don't have that mindset when they think about the rapture. Quite often when I look at the body of Christ and I listen to how people talk, a lot of people don't really want to be here. They just want to get out of here ASAP. They're just hunkering down, they've dug their trench, they're hunkering in the trench, and they're just waiting until Jesus comes and gets them out of here. But that's not the mentality that Yeshua was trying to communicate to his disciples. What he was trying to communicate to his disciples is, you have a mission today, you have a mission tomorrow, you have a mission indefinitely, and I want you to throw yourself into accomplishing that mission. I want you to do everything in your power, to be my witnesses to reach the people around you for me and not just on a local level not just in your neighborhood I want you to think big with this one not even just in terms of your country or your province whether that be Judea and Israel or whether that be Saskatchewan and Canada I want you to think about the whole world so we see that in the city in in this story that we tend to think in terms of time we tend to think now now and in terms of place, we tend to think here. But Yeshua wants us to think bigger than now, think long term, and Yeshua wants us to think about the whole world, not just about me and the people in my immediate sphere. So that's something about that, that we see, uh, a, a tendency that Yeshua's disciples had that I, I see in a lot of Yeshua's disciples today. Uh, we also see in this story, and this is a, this is a, this is a very relevant dynamic uh, in the business world, in marketing, in relationships, in almost anything. We see in the story that things take time to grow. That things grow concentrically. So, for instance, Yeshua didn't say, you guys are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth to the nethermost regions of the world. He didn't start with that. He, he started by saying, you guys are going to be witnesses to my cause right here in this city. And it's going to spread to Judea, the province that Jerusalem is in the middle of. And it's going to hit Samaria, which is beginning to jump ethnic boundaries. It's beginning to uh, hop to, um, even almost to another religious ideology. And it's going to hit the whole planet. So you can kind of hear that. And, and, that, and that's really encouraging. Um, let's say when you're thinking about starting a new business. Your business isn't going to necessarily be an overnight success. It will take time to build that business. It will take time for the word to get out. It'll take time for your, your, your brand to gain that recognition and for your influence to grow. And that's true in the business world. That's also very true in our mission to uh, make disciples for Yeshua. So if you don't see immediate success, don't be discouraged. If you don't have this overnight breakout, that's okay just plant yourself in a spot think locally and think globally and lock in for the long haul don't fall for the, the illusion of instant success because uh, quite frankly that's not what Yeshua said was going to happen let your influence grow over time be faithful to the call we also see in this story that we as human beings cannot pull off what we were called to do, we can't accomplish the mission without the power of God, without His holy Spirit like coming onto us and changing us from the inside out and talking through us, and basically doing the stuff through us. That's something that this story tells us. And uh, that's huge. Okay, here's the last big question I have for you on the story. We can uh, think this through this together. What does this story tell us about Yeshua of Nazareth? Uh, The first thing that hits us from the story is that he ain't dead anymore. He made a comeback from death. He's alive. The story also tells us that he's out there somewhere. Wow. Where exactly? Maybe that's one of the big questions that hopefully will lead us on a quest to find him. To locate his whereabouts. Maybe. Maybe. It's a big thing. He did talk about that. If we go looking for him, we'll find him. If we go on a quest to uh, locate his whereabouts, we will locate him. (laughs) Uh, Something else that this story tells us about Yeshua of Nazareth is that he talks a lot about God's kingdom. Like when Yeshua appeared on the scene, he didn't appear to his guys and start talking about a new uh, world religion that he was starting. He didn't appear to his guys and start talking about Christianity which maybe is surprising to a lot of people. What was really on the mind of Jesus of Nazareth after he was resurrected from the dead is God's kingdom. Maybe that's bigger than a world religion. Maybe that's bigger than the four walls of a church building. What's God's kingdom about? I think that's a big question that, that we can be asking ourselves. Maybe we can go on a quest to, uh, to find that. Uh, something else that this story tells us about Yeshua of Nazareth is that he gave his disciples a mission, a specific mission. He gave his disciples instructions. That was the other big thing that was on his mind after he was raised from the dead. Talking about God's kingdom and talking about the mission. I wonder if maybe those are two big things that should be on our minds also. Things that we're asking questions about and that we have uh, really, really involved conversations about. Uh, Something else, this story tells us about Yeshua of Nazareth is that he is coming back. He didn't just make a comeback from the dead. Uh, He's coming back to the earth, specifically to the land of Israel. And um, the two men in white... Remember the two men in white? They said, he's coming back the way he left. So if they saw him going up, they're going to see him coming down. If he went up physically, like in plain sight of people, then he's going to come back physically, in plain sight of people. Same thing. So that's something that this story tells us, something that um, we are looking forward to, a world event that will, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, it will be number 10 in terms of... Historical events that affect the course of humanity and uh, what happens with the planet. We also see in the story that Yeshua is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. What does that mean? How how many times growing up have you heard sermons about restoring the kingdom to Israel? How many books have you read from a Christian bookstore, let's say Scott's Parable, about restoring the kingdom to Israel? But this is huge. After Yeshua was raised from the dead This was the big question His disciples were asking about Okay, restoring the kingdom to, to Israel Are you going to do it now? And I want you to notice this Some, some theologians would say "Oh, he, they, were, they didn't get it They were still being so thick-scold They were still asking about this Restoring the kingdom to Israel thing And they just didn't get that God was done with Israel Forget the whole kingdom dream Some people would say that But, but get this Look at how Yeshua responded uh, Yeshua, if his disciples were off base or if they were out of line and thinking something He, wasn't, he didn't hesitate to correct them eh? So for instance when okay, Remember uh, there was this one time When Simon asked Yeshua about explaining a parable to him And do you remember what he said? He said Are you still so dull? Don't you get it yet? Or um, when they didn't bring bread He was like Don't you guys understand? Don't you get it? there were quite a few times like that where like they didn't get something or they were off base and he made it very clear that they didn't get it or um here's another example remember when he was saying i'm going to go to jerusalem i'm going to die and shimon was like no you're not you that can't happen it's like could you could you look at plan b and what did he say he said get behind me Sayyid. like he used very strong words when these guys were suggesting things that weren't in harmony with what he was teaching, eh? But in this case, Yeshua never said, "Are you still so dull?" He never said, "You guys just don't get it." He never said, "Get behind me saying, here." He never said any of these things, right? Do you know what that what that tells us? It tells us that that was a good question. It tells us that that was on the agenda. It wasn't a question of whether or not it was going to happen. It was a question of when it was going to happen. And basically, he just told them, "That part isn't for you guys to know. You guys have a mission." Get going with the mission. We'll take care of the rest. Me and my dad. Maybe you could put it like that. So that's something that this story tells us. Now the big question is, what does that mean to restore the kingdom to Israel? You'll notice that Luke never bothers to define what that is or to describe it. Do you know why? Because Yeshua's disciples had this hope that he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel that was based on prophecy. For instance, in the Prophets, it describes a time when Jerusalem will be like the capital of the world. When all the nations will flow up to Jerusalem. When they'll go to God's temple and they say, let's go learn God's Torah. Let's learn His ways. Not just the Jewish people, everybody. That's in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah describes a time when everybody on planet Earth is going to rest on Saturdays. Saturday will be the day that you take off from work. It's going to be Shabbat. At the end of Isaiah, it says that. Um, The end of the prophet Zechariah talks about a time when all the nations will be going up to Jerusalem for the festival of booths. That hasn't happened yet. Um, The last eight chapters of the book of Ezekiel talk about a time when the throne of David will once again be established in the center of Israel. When Israel will be a a sovereign national entity. When the tribes, all the tribes of Israel will be returned to the land where there will be a temple and the Levitical lit- priests will be doing their job there will be animal offerings These are literal prophecies about the kingdom on planet earth in the book of Ezekiel, the book of Zechariah, the book of Isaiah and none of them have happened yet And if you read them literally that means they're still going to happen And Yeshua's disciples read their Bibles, they knew them very well and they knew this stuff is still going to happen So are you going to do it now? That's huge. So you know, if if you read the Siddur, the Jewish prayer book, and you read the things that the Jewish pray, people pray for several times a day, that Messiah will gather in the exiles, the Kibbutz Galuyot. That Messiah will rebuild the temple and reinstate the animal offerings, and all of these things. All of these things, it hasn't happened yet, but Yeshua is going to answer the prayers of the Jewish people. Like Yeshua is the answer to the prayers that we pray several times a day from the Siddur, that the Jewish people have been praying for a couple thousand years, that his own disciples were praying. When he returns, he's going to answer those prayers. That's good news for the nation of Israel. Yeshua is going to come back and he's going to pull off all of those prophecies. Actually, I have um, something to read to you from a traditional Jewish text about that. Um, This is from the commentary of Dr. John Gill. He was an avid Christian Hebraist who lived in the uh, 1700s. And uh, he has a, I have a quote here for you that, from, um, from Maimonides. And this is what Maimonides, or the Rambam, had to say about uh, the kingdom being returned to Israel. He actually has this exact phrase in Hebrew, when the kingdom is returned to Israel. And this is, what, this is what one of the foremost Jewish commentators have to say about the kingdom being returned to Israel. This is huge because you read this phrase and you don't have a clue what it means if you're coming from a Christian paradigm. This is something that's based on the prophets of Israel and that the Jewish people have always hoped for. Yeshua's disciples and the Jewish people since then, including the Rambam. So this is what he says. The kingdom shall return or be restored to Israel. And they shall return to the land of Israel. And that king shall be exceeding great, and the house of his kingdom shall be in Zion. And his name shall be magnified, and his fame shall fill the Gentiles more than King Solomon. All nations shall be at peace with him, and all lands shall serve him, because of his great righteousness and the wonderful things which shall be done by him. And he shall deliver him into his hands, and all—oh, was it—and whoever rises up against him, God will destroy. And he shall deliver him into his hands. And all the passages of scripture testify of his and our prosperity with him. The Messiah's prosperity. Our prosperity is the Jewish people with him. And there shall be no difference in anything from what it is now. Only the kingdom shall return to Israel. So this is the hope that the Jewish people have always cherished. This is a description of it from the Rambam. Interestingly enough, um, there's one more little mention Later on in here About how I'll read you one more quotation This is is a quotation from a a Jewish text That is also really relevant to this story This is from uh, the Talmud, uh, the Bavli uh, Pesachim And it says There are seven things that are hid From the children of men And these are them Let's count them on our fingers The day of death No one knows when they're going to die And the day of consolation That could mean one of several things. And the depth of judgment. And a man knows not what is in the heart of his neighbor. You never know what your neighbor is really thinking about you. Maybe they hate your guts and they're just polite like most Canadians. (laughs) Nor with what he shall be rewarded. That is to say, in the afterlife, when Messiah returns. Good point. And when the kingdom of the house of David shall return. Nobody knows. It's hidden from us when the kingdom of the house of David will return. And the last one, when the kingdom of Persia shall fall. <laughs> that one got kind of uh, outdated. We do know when the kingdom of Persia fell. But anyway, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a text from the Talmud saying no one knows when the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. Interesting that the sages of Israel and Yeshua uh, totally agreed on that one. Yeah. There's one more thing here that this story tells us about Yeshua of Nazareth. This story tells us that the same guy who went up is the guy who's going to come down. So the same king who departed from his disciples after talking about his kingdom to them and giving them a mission is the same king who is, who is going to return. So let's just, let's just stop and ask ourselves about that. Who was that guy? What did he look like? What was his lifestyle? Because that's going to be the guy who comes back. You're talking about a guy who was ethnically... Jewish so if Yeshua when he departed was ethnically Jewish when he comes back he's coming back as an ethnic Jew there are going to be ethnicities in the kingdom of God when Messiah returns it talks about the nations it talks about Israel maybe that's hard for some anti-Semites to swallow but it's true he's not just coming back as a Jewish guy he's coming back as the national leader of the Jewish people Remember that title that popped up in conjunction with his birth? Where is the one who was born the king of the Jewish people? And uncannily it also popped up in conjunction with his death. Hanging over his head. This is Yeshua of Nazareth. The king of the Jewish people. Is that an accident? No. He was born to be the national leader of Israel. He died to be the kind of king to the Jewish people that David was. Loved. Extolled. Adored would follow him into battle, to the death. That's Yeshua. That's who he's coming back as. That is going to be his relationship with the nation of Israel, with the Jewish people who believe in him upon his return. Do you remember in the Gospel of Luke, the first of his two books in the Bilogy, he talked about, he went back to his hometown once after he'd uh, transferred his base of operations to Kepharnachum on the Canara Lake. And he went back to his hometown at Zeret. And it says that on Saturday, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. And he stood up to read from the Torah. Do you think Yeshua did that because he had to? Do you think he dragged his feet every step of the way and was like, oh man, I wish I could go to work today. Man, I got that, I got that project with that yoke for those oxen and I didn't get it done before Shabbat and why do I have to rest today? Wish I, I'm so tired why can't I sleep in? Why do I have to go to synagogue? And then he's sitting there at synagogue with his head down flopping around because he doesn't really want to be there he's just he just has to fulfill the ceremonial law and so okay fine I guess I have to read it from the Torah so he goes up to the Torah reads in a monotone voice I really don't want to be here. Goes and flops back in his seat. No! That was in Yeshua. But you know what? That's a lot of his people today. A lot of his people today don't want to get together with each other. They don't want to read the word. They're just there because they have to be there. And quite frankly, if someone is there because they have to be there, I think they should just go home and tell God that they hate him and they don't want to listen to him. Instead of going through the motions and playing along. So that's something that this story tells us about Yeshua. Not that He was there because He had to be there. Yeshua, I don't believe Yeshua ever did anything because He had to. I believe He did what he, He did because He wanted to. Because it was His heart's desire. Because it was His choice. Even when He went to the cross, He chose to go to the cross. The physical side of Him didn't really want the pain. And I don't blame Him for that. But He loved His Father and He wanted to do what His Father wanted. And it's sad Very often today That's the side of Yeshua That's been stripped away People look at how he did the Torah How he lived a Jewish lifestyle And they just think Oh he was just doing that Because he had to Oh that was just, he was just checking off the, All the list of to do's And to don'ts From the ceremonial law No that, that's a lie That's not true Yeshua did the things that he did Because he was passionate about it Because that is who he was And who he was Is who he is And who he's going to be And what he did Is what he does And what he's going to do So that's what he does through us today and that is what he is going to do upon his return also. So guess what? When Yeshua comes back, he is going to put the brakes on come Friday evening. He is going to lead us, his people, in resting every Saturday. We're going to be observing Shabbat in the kingdom. Whether people like that or not, whether their bad theology lets them do that or not, when they see Yeshua doing Shabbat like it's prophesied at the end of Isaiah, Maybe they're going to change their minds. Maybe they're going to take a new look at Paul's epistles and overhaul some of their misinterpretations. But that's something that we see here. Yeshua did Shabbat. He went to the synagogue. He gathered with the people of God because he loved to. And he read from the Torah. When Yeshua comes back, he's going to read from the Torah. Uh, A lot of people today, they read Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm. It's all about how the author loves God's Torah. The author just loves God's commandments. He loves to do them. He loves God's laws. He loves just thinking about them day and night and looking at them from every angle. It's like this long love poem to the law of God. And quite frankly, most believers today cannot relate to that. Their eyes just kind of glaze over a little bit because they don't love God's Torah because they have bad theology that for some reason tells them just scrap that side of the revelation of God, His law his teachings, his commandments. But Yeshua loved God's Torah. Yeshua loved God's laws and commandments. He delighted to do every single one of them, the minutia of them, to a T, to do them with flair, to do them with a special touch, to do them with all of his heart, to do them as something that was relational between him and his father. It was a love thing. And guess what? When Yeshua comes back, it's going to be the same thing. So we we see that in in this story that the same Yeshua who went up is the guy who's coming back, whenever that may be. Uh, We also see that just like Yeshua celebrated Passover, Pesach, every year of his life when he comes back, we're going to be doing that. It's prophesied in Ezekiel. He also said, I'm not going to drink this cup with you again until I drink it when? Anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So guess what? After the Master comes back, guess what we're going to be doing the first spring after he comes back? We're going to be celebrating Pesach with him With the Lamb of God himself Wow That is something to look forward to That is going to be fantastic Those are going to be The best glasses of wine That you have ever tasted We also see When we read the Gospels That Yeshua celebrated Sukkot He went up to Jerusalem For the festival of booths Uh, We see that Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah The festival of dedication That's the guy who's coming back that's prophesied in Ezekiel, I believe, that we're going to be celebrating Sukkot and definitely at the end of Zechariah. That's the guy who's coming back. That's, those are some of the things he's going to be doing. Often believers today, they kind of have this little idea that basically Jesus is going to come back and we're all going to go to heaven and, uh, I don't know, maybe streets made of precious metals or playing instruments or floating in clouds or uh, we're going to be really happy anyway like for, for, and we'll see loved ones and that's good but that's a very, very small view and an inaccurate view of what is what the planet's going to look like when Yeshua comes back. I'm hoping I'm hoping this will give us a bigger picture of this same Yeshua who went up into the sky is going to come back in the same way. It's help. It's help, hopefully this is helping us to flesh that out. Yeshua, did Yeshua run around naked? Ever? No. Not that we know of. As far as we know, whenever Yeshua was sighted, he was fully clothed. And there was something on the four cor- corners of his outer garment. Uh, Jewish people in that time were wore like a, kind of like a poncho, like a big cape kind of thing with four corners. And God had said back in the Torah, tie uh, tassels on the four corners with a thread of blue. The Hebrew word there for blue is techelet. And so Yeshua did that. In fact, I- 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 the Hebrew word for uh, those fringes is uh, tzitzit. Can you say tzitzit? That's the Hebrew word, tzitzit. And then the Greek word for those is kraspedon, And in the Gospels, where it says that the sick people would just try and grab the corner of Yeshua's garment, or the, like the, what does it say, the hammer, the, the fringe, different things translated, that's the word kraspedon. that's the word tzitzit. So we, we have very solid evidence in the Gospels that Yeshua wore those things on his clothes. Now, let me ask you, is he coming back uh, wearing clothes, or is he coming back naked? He's coming back wearing clothes, Right? probably going to be some really fancy ones. Maybe some gorgeous robe or something. Anyway, um, guess what's probably going to be on the corners of his garment? If it's the same guy, I think so. And here's, here's, a, here's some proof of that also. In the book of Numbers, where God tells the people of Israel, tie these things on the four corners of your garments, he doesn't say, do this for a short period of time, do this for this specific dispensation. He says, do this Throughout your generations In other words, as long as you guys are around as a people I want you to do this As long as there is a generation of the people of Israel This commandment applies So guess what? When Yeshua comes back The people of Israel are going to be back in the land of Israel The generations are going to continue So will this command continue? Yeah So will Yeshua be wearing tzitzit when he comes back? I believe so I think there's a pretty solid case to be made for that. Which language did Yeshua read the Torah in and pray in? Hebrew. Hebrew, right? So guess what? Even though Yeshua is like the creator of language, and even though he can speak fluently with anyone in any language, Hebrew is like his mother tongue. You could say it's probably his heart language. It's the language that he actually grew up speaking. It's the language that he studied the Holy Torah in. It's the language that he prayed to his father in. What did he call God when he was praying? Abba. He called him Abba. That's a Hebrew word. When Yeshua spoke to Shaul, or Paul, when he was en route to the city of Damascus, what language did Shaul specify that Yeshua spoke with him in? It wasn't Greek. And guess what? It wasn't Aramaic because there's another Greek word for Aramaic. He spoke with him in Hebrew. If you look at the Greek word there for the language that Yeshua spoke with him in, it was Hebrew. When Yeshua comes back, thankfully, he's going to speak all the languages of the world, and that's going to be really impressive. But he's also going to be speaking Hebrew. And if he is the king of the Jewish people, if he's sitting on the throne of David in the middle of the restored nation of Israel, what language do you think he's usually going to be speaking? I believe that Yeshua is going to usually be speaking Hebrew it would really make sense this same Yeshua who went up is the guy who's coming back the man who is returning so hopefully that just gives us a picture of who it is who is returning a snapshot of the king and what he's going to be what he's going to look like when he comes back some of the things that he is going to be doing and that he's going to be leading us as his people in, upon his return that, that thrills my heart that excites me like sometimes well you know the song like I can only imagine I can only imagine what it's going to look like when you're going to come back and what, how I'm going to respond and all these kinds of things hopefully that kind of helps us to actually see it based on scripture to know what we are anticipating to know the good news of the return of the king to know the good news of the kingdom that's coming when the king comes it's exciting. Hopefully that stirs our passion for Yeshua. Hopefully that arouses our affections for the King. Hopefully that just thinking about Him and who it is that we have fallen in love with deepens that love for Him. I pray that it does. So on a practical note, we could finish by saying, yes, we are falling in love with Yeshua. We know who is coming back. We are doing some of the things that we will be doing with Him when He comes back, that He will be leading the nation in. But what about right now? What do we do right now? Do we... stare into the sky? Spend lots of time daydreaming? Just hoping the rapture comes soon? Writing out all our Bible chronologies and trying to figure out when he's going to come back? No! That's what he said. Is the, That's the no answer. Remember the men in white? Why are you guys standing there staring into the sky... Gallians, <laughs> what could we be doing instead of staring into the sky yeah I believe there are two things that we can be doing number one we can be realizing that we're never going to be able to do what Yeshua called us to do without the Holy Spirit so hopefully every day we're going to be waking up in the morning and saying God we are looking to you for your Holy Spirit today we are asking that you would empower us more than you ever have before so that we can we can do the mission That Yeshua has called us to do, so that we can pull it off. That's the number that's the first thing that we can do. We can be thinking a lot about the Holy Spirit. We can be asking questions about the Holy Spirit. We can be studying the word to understand the Holy Spirit. And we can be crying out to God for more of His Holy Spirit. Because even though there was that shavuot where the Holy Spirit came, and it looked like these people were on fire, but they weren't burning up, kind of like the burning bush. Even though that happened, there were also multiple instances after that where God filled them with the Holy Spirit. It would say, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke out and said this. And Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, faced down Elemas and said this. That was something that happened on numerous occasions. They lifted up their voice and they prayed to God. And the building was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke boldly the word of the Master. There, there are many instances in, in um, this book where these guys were, you could say they got a refill. And so what is the first thing that we can be doing? We can be saying every day, God, give us a refill. Give us more of your Holy Spirit. Empower us so we can, so we can do what you've called us to do. So we can pull off the mission. So that we can witness to Yeshua's cause. Not just with our words, with, but with undeniable power. With supernatural abilities. With the the capacity to do miracles that people have to own are not possible within the confines of natural law. Let's be crying out to the Father for that. Let's be asking Him every day for the promise. Let's hold on to Him like Jacob held on all night long and wrestled with the God of Israel. And say, we're not going to let you go until you give us what you promised, Father. We're not going to settle for anything less. We're not satisfied. That's the first thing that we can be doing on a practical level. Don't stare into the sky. And don't just wait passively for the Holy Spirit. Wait intently. Wait with hope. Wait with great desire. Ask Him. Because the Father loves it when you ask Him for that which He has promised. He delights to give the Holy Spirit to to who? Those who ask Him. That's right. And then the second thing that we can do on a practical level is yeah, we can witness to who Yeshua is. Uh, You remember in the story about Eleazar, or Lazarus, when he was raised from the dead? It says that the people who saw him come out of the tomb, alive, they went back to Jerusalem, they hightailed it for Jerusalem, and um, the Greek word there is the word for witnessing. It's like they witnessed of what Yeshua did. Uh, Did they like stand up in court and witness in a formal way? No. What did they do? They went home and they're like, Guys, I was just out in Bethany and I saw Yeshua of Nazareth raise a guy from the dead after he was in the tomb for four days. And they went and they recounted the story. They told the story. And that is what witnessing is at its core. It's something that everybody on this planet does. Whenever someone tells a story, a true story, they're witnessing about something or somebody. And so what is our job? Until our king returns, our job is to tell his story. Our job is to tell the stories about the Master? What did He teach? What did He do for people that proved that He was the Son of God? That validated His messianic claims? How was He crucified? What did he, why did He say He was crucified? How was He raised from the dead? Who saw Him after He was raised from the dead? These are His stories. And then what were the parables that He told? These are His stories. As we tell the stories about Yeshua to our friends, to our neighbors, to the people in our world's that's the mission that's what he said to do he said the Holy Spirit boom and you are going to tell my story in your neighborhood and ultimately this story is going to reach the farthest extremes of the planet wow so that is what we can do that is what we can do today that is what we can do in this upcoming week the Holy Spirit and witness of Yeshua tell this story so maybe we should make that really practical here's this story about Yeshua of Nazareth after he was raised from the dead telling his guys about God's kingdom giving them a mission explaining to them that yeah he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel but not just yet in the meantime they're going to get the Holy Spirit and they're going to be empowered to tell his story not just to the locals in their hood but to the whole world that's this, that's, and then what did he do in the story how did it finish he lifted off of planet earth he went back to his father and the men in white said the same guy who went up is the guy who's coming back and he's coming back in the same way he went that's the story and who in your life could hear that story who could you tell that story to that's the question I, I hope that every one of us can tell this fantastic true story to someone in our lives in this upcoming week. And hopefully not just to one person, but to many people. Because it's a fantastic story. It's worth telling. It's exciting. And you know what? It's going to do the hearts of the people that we tell this story to good. Because God's Word is good. And when people hear God's Word, He does stuff in their lives through His Word. So let's tell Yeshua's story this week. Let's tell this story. Maybe we can pray together for a minute. To, uh, to finish here uh, Father in heaven thank you so much that we can be in this gorgeous park today uh, thank you for this true story about our master after you raised him from the dead some of the things that he said to his disciples and through his disciples to us thank you Father for your Holy Spirit in our midst that excites our hearts for the master that rouses our passions for him that moves us to talk about him and tell a story Thank you, Father, so much for your power that enables us to be our witnesses and to witness to Yeshua's cause. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit every day. I, wait, I pray that you would enable us to be effective witnesses for the Master who, um, who engage the people around us and engage this world with uh, who he is. And uh, Father, I thank you so much too for how you have told us through your prophets, um, what it's going to look like when he comes back, some of the things that we're going to be doing with Yeshua when he comes back, uh, that thrills us, Father. Thank you that we have a future. Thank you that it is a spectacular future. Thank you that we have so much to look forward to, Father. And we look around the story, the, around, uh, around the city, and uh, some of the people that we've told your stories to. Uh, we look at our neighbors, Father. We look at our friends. We want to see the people in the city with Yeshua and with us, Father, after He comes back. I pray that you would save the city. I pray, Father, that you would empower your people in the city to tell Yeshua's story to effectively witness to His cause, to see many disciples raised up for the Master so that we can see them on that day, so that we can celebrate with You and with them forever, Father. We're asking You for that. We're thanking You for it, Father. Praise Your name. Please give us, Father, opportunities this week to tell Yeshua's stories to people. Please open our mouths in Your power. Please excite our hearts. Please... Overwhelm us, where we just find ourselves talking about Yeshua and telling stories about Him. In season and out of season, when it's appropriate and when maybe it doesn't seem appropriate. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. We, we're asking this and we're thanking you for hearing our prayers, for answering this request, request Abba. Come, Yeshua. Come, Yeshua. Amen. Salaam, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.